You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, I want to start this evening, you know, I've wrestled with this, with, with a bit of a confession. You know, what I've wrestled with is that maybe it shouldn't be a confession, but every time I actually tell people I'm a golfer, I feel like it's a confession. And I think the reason is, is that I'm not even sure I actually like the game as much as I'm just addicted to it. Okay, meaning that I, I spend way too much time and money on it. I think about it at times when I shouldn't think about it. That's the definition of addicted. I am uh, addicted. Well, another of the addicted is my dad. And recently it was his uh, birthday. And, and for his, as part of his birthday, I played in this, in this golf tournament with him. And I, I was so excited to get out there. You know, there were, there were dozens of other pairs uh, in, playing in this, in this golf tournament. And I was excited to get out there and, you know, show the world that the church men, we can play some golf, right? Let's go. Well, from the, from the very first shot, the very first tee, things literally started going sideways on me. And from there, each shot sounded like a small construction site, given the number of trees and other objects that my ball would hit uh, before it, it came to rest. And, and this, this scene repeated itself several times over the next half hour or so, to the point that I was, uh, as anybody who was within about 300 yards of me could have found out, I was just beside myself. My attitude was... Uh, was in the tank, and, and I, I, was, I was flat miserable. <laughs> At which point, my dad very gently said, you know, these, these bad things that are happening in your, in your game uh, are happening because you are trying too hard. Uh, so just, just stop, relax, and have a little bit of fun, and quit trying so hard. You see, there's, there's something about, you know, maybe it's the fact I was with my dad. Maybe it's the fact that we're in a tournament and in, the, in that environment, environment, I become intensely competitive. But that moment mattered to me. I wanted to do really well. I wanted to somehow give my dad a bit of a birthday present by playing well in this tournament. And I was trying really hard to do so. And it just seems that my efforts just made things worse and worse. Now, of course, trying hard is not a bad thing. I know that there's plenty of things that we, we do that, that, a, a, that effort is required, that, that persevering and trying harder is precisely what brings about a type of success. Greg didn't become one of the best guitar players in, in the city of Seattle by not trying hard. When I look around at, at people in this room, I know that it, it, with, with some of, of who I know your, your stories, that people have experienced some tremendous success because of an incredible effort that they have put in. I know that as a parent to, to three young boys, one of the most common pieces of, of advice that I read and that I hear from parents and teachers, and I don't know if it's always been this way, but that, that the parenting strategy or paradigm is that we don't praise the outcome, we praise the effort. We want our kids to try hard, right? It's a good thing. Well, here's my, here's my second confession. 
that when I hear the words that Ken read for us earlier from 1 Corinthians 13, when I hear about this, this love that is patient and kind, that is not arrogant, boastful, or rude, that is not uh, self-serving, that perseveres, that never quits, that never fails, one of the first thoughts I have is that just certainly does not describe me. That is not the way I love. And of course, the thought right behind that is, well, maybe I should just try harder. Maybe I just need to try harder. Well, a few weeks ago, George got us started on a series that we're looking at in Galatians 5. We're looking, about, looking at the disciples' freedom, this freedom that the follower of Christ experiences uh, as, as they follow Jesus and as the Spirit is poured into them. Uh, they, are, they are set free not to just do whatever you feel like doing, but to become exactly who God has it in mind for you and for us, for his disciples to be. That's freedom. Well, when I think about 1 Corinthians 13 and trying harder, does that sound like freedom? It certainly doesn't sound like freedom to me. Well, as we continue today, as perhaps some of you have guessed, we're looking at the first of the fruits of the Spirit This uh, that begins in Galatians 5.22. These nine marks of character that flow out of those who are walking with Jesus and whom the Spirit has been poured into. And again, <laughs> I feel like it's become, becoming confession time for the preacher up here. When I see these, these nine marks of character, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, the first thing that goes through my mind is try harder. Well, as we come in from the sun and sit in the air conditioning tonight, I wanna tell you that this is not a sermon about trying harder. And I don't believe that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 is inviting us to try harder. I believe that the invitation is for us to know a love that is real. To take a love that we often make abstract and somehow make it real for us in every day. Not only the spectacular, but in the subtle as well. As we begin uh, it, taking a deeper look at this, let's stop for a moment and pray. God, open up your word to us that we may know you more. We want to know this love that is more real than we often give it credit for this love that is more real than we often experience it. So would you help us as we uh, gather together and as we uh, reflect on your word this evening? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the text that Ken read, it began by saying, by the apostle Paul saying, I will show you a more excellent way. A more excellent way than what? And this is where maybe a little bit of background on first century Corinth might be a little bit helpful. That Corinth was a dynamic city. And it, without giving you all the details, it was a dynamic city where, where power and perception and status mattered. 
It was what that culture was into. And those, those first Christians, this early church, they were not at all exempt. And in fact, they had their own little power plays happening within their community. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about these, these Christians that are essentially busting out the spiritual measuring stick as some people had these incredible gifts of speaking in tongues and, and being able to, to deliver prophecy. Well, the, the concern that the Apostle Paul has is that there's a group of, of people then looking at these spectacular gifts, even within the church going, well, I need to try harder to be able to do that. If I'm going to be an authentic Christian, if I'm going to, to be real in this, then don't I have to be able to do that? I will show you a more excellent way is saying, no, without one thing, those spectacular gifts aren't held up. And that's when we get this wonderful definition of love. Let me back up for a second. That when, when we have this, this group of people that are going, what do I need to do? How do I need to try harder to attain some of these gifts, to be seen as a more spiritual or better Christian? You can see where this is going, right? That the, the focus is I. What do I need to do? How do I need to try harder? Now, again, effort on things is not necessarily a bad thing, but I want to warn us that sometimes that type of effort can be the gateway to pride. Now, what is pride? I think pride is, is in part some of the words that were already mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, okay? When the Apostle Paul says, this love is not arrogant or boastful or rude. Often when we think of pride, those are descriptions that we might use for somebody that we would call a prideful person, right? Dallas Willard was the one that initially helped me understand that pride is not necessarily one thinking too highly of themselves. No doubt it's included. But I think the pride that I see more within myself and within the church is this pride that it's not that we're thinking too highly of ourselves, but as Willard says, we think too much about ourselves. Pride isn't thinking too highly of yourself. It's thinking too much about yourself. Perhaps it helps to think about humility, on the other hand, is not thinking lowly about yourself, but rather it's thinking accurately about yourself. So in some ways, what George did a couple of weeks ago when he introduced this series on freedom in 1 Corinthians 5 and invited us to become our real selves, he was inviting us to live a humble life. Where we, see, where we become exactly who we are. It's not thinking lowly of ourselves. It's thinking accurately of ourselves. Pride is not thinking too highly of yourselves. It's thinking too much about yourself. And when we think too much about ourselves, that is not freedom. And what I want to assert is that in this encouragement that Paul gives of showing us a better way and in giving us love, he's giving us a gateway to freedom. Now, there are four words, as some of you know, in the Greek language that are used for love. 
And the Greek word that's used here is agape. Okay, it's in first, I'm sorry, in Galatians 5. The fruit of the spirit is agape. Okay, the, the word that is used in, in 1 Corinthians 13, agape. The word that's used in the gospel of John, love knows none than this. Love knows none other than this. Agape knows none other than this. That one would lay down his life for his friends. Agape. So to help us understand more about what agape is, I want to invite us to take a, a, a look at John 13 beginning at uh, the fourth verse. Now, if you want to go ahead and look in your Bibles, that's fine. But I, I want to invite you, um, on the other hand, to, to just visualize this, to picture this scene playing out in your mind. Picture Jesus in a room with his disciples. And what I want, to, want you to, to notice here is, is the movement that would happen between Jesus and his disciples and kind of where do you see Jesus' head and his hands relative to the others that would be in the story? If you want to close your eyes and envision this, feel free to do so. Let me read this for us. It says, Jesus got up from the table. He took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And then to wipe them with a the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you in the room, for he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe and returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. A few observations about Jesus here. Jesus is not concerned about power or honor or status. What he shows in this, in this I think, very compelling story, and in fact, one that, that I have, have come to understand as, as the moment of Jesus' ministry that, that most embodies who he is, that most embodies agape. Did you see what Jesus did? He is the king who moves toward his disciples, who moves toward Peter. But then as he moves toward, he also gets low. 
and he washes their feet. He's doing the job that even for Jewish slaves, they were not expected to wash people's feet because it was that type of dirty job. Not even other Jewish slaves would be required to do that. And yet Jesus does. He moves towards his disciples. He moves towards them and he gets low. The king who gets low. This, my friends, is the picture of agape. Sometimes when we read 1 Corinthians 13 and we see these words, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. Sometimes we can, we can sentimentalize this and we don't think of it as this love that gets low, that gets under, that actually gets under to lift up. This is why I think that love, agape, is always at the front of the list of, these, of what Paul delivers. Because it is the love that actually sustains all other love and all other fruit. It's not necessarily that it is the best love. It's just the necessary love. Okay, the, the love for, for brotherly love, friendship, uh, filio, is held up by agape. Uh, family love, storge, held up by agape. Eros, romantic love and desire. It's held up by agape. You see, agape is a love that comes toward, gets low, and holds up. It's a very strong love. It's the love of God. It's divine love. Second reflection is this. Peter has what we might call a proud humility. It's a bit confusing because in this moment, there's this, this sense of, of him saying, oh, hey, I'm, I've got it here and I'm not gonna let you wash my feet. He's actually trying to resist Jesus' invitation to him. There's both a sense of, Lord, you shouldn't do that, him trying to tell Jesus who he is. And perhaps there was also a sense, at least at the start of, I probably, I, I certainly don't need you to do this. A proud humility. It got me thinking about this sense of false humility, which is also pride. Okay, let's go back to my golf tournament for a second. You know, as I'm struggling through, there's a, another guy in the group that just, you know, rips one down the middle about 285, and I say, nice shot, and his response is, oh, I really didn't square it up. Really wasn't all that good. False humility. It's annoying, right? It's irritating. We've all had that experience of false humility. What you want him to say is, yeah, I squared that one. That was sick. Okay, didn't get that. We need to avoid that sense of false humility because it's just another form of pride. And then the final one is this. In those words that Jesus is giving, perhaps somewhat mystically, especially when we're, when we're not fully unpacking John, about I need to wash your feet. What kind of bath is this? Well, one of the symbols involved there is forgiveness. Now, Peter has not yet denied Jesus. On this side of the cross, we know that he will. And Jesus' opportunity is saying, you will, invitation is saying, you will understand this more a little bit later. What we need to understand is that I believe that this agape is, it assumes and is built on forgiveness. Jesus moves toward, Jesus washes, Jesus forgives. 
Freedom is based on that, knowing that there is nothing that can take that from us. Jesus is going to approach us before we ever earn it. Agape is a love that moves toward us, that gets low, even in our pride, and always, always forgives, just like 1 Corinthians 13 said. So what do we do with this? What, do, what can we do to make this love a little bit more real for us in our day to day? Because that's what I think Paul wanted to do. He wanted to take this, this love that was being drowned by the, in the realm of spectacular and people speaking in tongues and giving prophecy and saying, you know what? It matters on a small level and it matters in the day to day. How do we do that? I want to give you three things as we wrap up our reflections here. First is this. One is simply to believe. Believe. Believe that these words, these words of love, this love song is for you. Another confession. The voices in in my head that in those quiet moments, perhaps when I'm walking to and from work, when I just find myself alone, can often be very critical, can often be very dark and discouraging. And I know I'm not alone in that boat. But the self-talk that, that I have is often far from positive. And it's something that I wish would go away. Part of what it means to believe is, is an opportunity to hear something different than those voices that maybe we hear in our heads. How do we do that? I want to invite you to read these words sometime, maybe later tonight, maybe throughout this week. Read these words from 1 Corinthians 13 and remember that that's how God loves you. God is patient with you. God is kind with you. God's not gonna quit on you. God's not gonna fail you. Read them as a love song to you. And perhaps that helps us grow in belief. Second is this. Go, and, and this might sound counter to some of the things that I've said. But second would be this. Go and serve others. Go do something for somebody else. I remember as a college student, I, sitting in these pews, listening to our pastor emeritus uh, share. And, and I'll never forget, I, I forget what he was preaching out of, but he said, you know, if you find yourself in a season where you're feeling crummy about yourself, go and do something for someone else. And it, it's been an idea that I've tried, a, a practice actually that I've put into play that has worked because why? What happens when you do that? It takes the emphasis off of yourself and puts it on others. I love sharing about uh, that one of the things that I get to do in my job is, is annually go on a mission trip with a group of college students. And in, inevitably, I'll be someplace that is, is hot and dirty and dusty and the water's terrible. And in the middle of the week, I find myself kind of feeling fantastic. Why? Because I'm not thinking about myself. I'm concerned with others on the team. I'm concerned with serving in the context that, that we might be. I'm concerned with learning another culture. I've taken the emphasis off of myself. Sometimes to discover the reality of God's love for us, it does require that we go and serve first. Missionary theologian Leslie Newbegin says this, because we can't possibly, so to speak, return the favor that Jesus has given us in going to the cross, 
He says, our neighbor is the agent authorized to receive what we owe the master. Okay, what does that mean? It means that while we can't go to the cross for Jesus, that's already been done. In the way that we wanna say thank you, that we wanna show our love and gratitude to Jesus, the way we do that is by serving others. The way I do that is by doing my best to wash my wife's feet, to, to embrace my coworkers, to love my neighbors. That is the agent most, most authorized to receive God's love from you. We, as we are loved, so we love. Jesus set for us an example. And so we are invited into sharing this love. All right, ready for one more reflection and one more seeming contradiction? It's this. Don't do anything. Don't try harder. Stop. Just stop. Psalm 46.10 reminds us, be still and know that I am God. One of the translations that we could throw on that is cease striving and know that I am God. When was the last time that you simply stopped and quit trying to be the best mom in the world and just received God's love for you and just sat in that moment for 10 seconds? When was the last time you stopped and reflected on on God's love for you without thinking about the next thing on your to-do list, the next alarm that would go off on your smartphone. The invitation to love is the invitation to stop and simply remember that this love is for you. And I'm not sure that that this will be real for us unless we stop. Stop and just take a moment to to be reminded that this is true for us. So believe, serve others, and stop. Cease striving. Maybe the problem is that we're trying too hard. Stop, relax, have some fun. Friends, in the cross, we are reminded of the, we are given this symbol of a God that has moved toward us, of an agape love that is strong, that is big, that actually gets low, gets under us and lifts us up. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that reminds us that you do come close and that you are never far and that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. God, in the coming hours, in the coming days, the coming weeks, help us know our belovedness and animate us that we might go and love others, embrace their gifts and see ourselves for exactly who we are. Help us out, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301.
extension 117.